Hello and welcome to Series 3 of the Leading Through Uncertainty podcast. I'm Jude Jennison, founder of Leaders by Nature and host of this podcast, and I'm the author of the book Leading Through Uncertainty. In this series, I ask leaders to share their stories of uncertainty, the challenges they've faced and overcome, and what we can learn from their experiences. Ray O'Donoghue is MD of Corporate Banking for the Midlands region in Barclays. He talks about transforming the organisation from geography-led to industry-led and how the relationships with customers changed. It was a bold move that could have led to resistance, but Ray engaged people by making sure that they were part of the solution and continually refined the solution as they went along. Hi Ray, thanks for joining me today. Uh, For the benefit of the listeners, can you tell us who you are and what you do? Uh, Yes, um, thanks for asking me. I've never done a podcast before, so this should uh, be very interesting. So leading through uncertainty from the start. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say how I came to terms with it, I think. Uh, But um, yeah, I'm Ray Donoghue. I'm the Managing Director for Barclays Corporate here in what we call the Central Region. So we look after about 2,000 clients based across the Midlands, Wales and um, East Anglia. So I'm guessing amongst that you you must have your own uncertainty that you experienced in the in the bank, but also the uncertainty of your corporate clients as well. Yeah, um, both really. In in fact, thinking about it, I can't remember a time um, going back the last twenty years or so where we haven't had uncertainty, uh, be it certain uncertainty within our own organisation, clients, regulation, economy. Um, exchange rates, a whole multitude of things. The banking um, crisis. <laughs> yep, uh, to name a few. And yeah. We won't go down the Brexit route no. or anything else like that. But um, I think we live in, I, what's the expression, you know, we live in a world of constant change mm. and um, we've just uh, become accustomed to it. And, mm. and I think it will be the way of, of things to come, really. Yeah, I think you're right. But I think what that does is it generates challenges for us leading through it because some people adapt to the change and then other people are vehemently resistant to it, aren't they? I mean, I don't know whether you find that in the bank, whether there are some people who readily embrace it and go, great, let's let's do this, whatever, adopt new technology, change the structure of the organisation and then other people that just go kicking and screaming no. <laughs> I think it's, some people love it, um, some people are intimidated by it, um, some people need to see what it's going to look like at mm. the end before before mm. they embrace it. But yeah. We've done a number of big change projects, I want for one of a better expression, mm. so uh, I never cease to learn how you'd have done it better mm. or what went well or what, what didn't go well and um, I remember Probably the biggest one we did was um, some time ago when we changed the the way in which we'd look after clients. So the traditional way for a bank to look after clients was each relationship director had a portfolio of customers that they built up over the years. Tended to be around geography and location, um, and we wanted to change that. We wanted to go down more of um, an industry route. So right. what we were saying was we could differentiate ourselves, improve what we did with our customers if we understood their businesses and their industries more. Mm -hmm. So we wanted each of the relationship people to be um, a specialist in a certain industry and then pass on the benefits of that knowledge to to all the customers. So strategically, um, that's, that's that's where we were going. But of course, that brought with it huge change in business risks. Mm -hmm. So first up, we were going to migrate hundreds of 
relationships um, and those relationships have been with those relationship people uh, could have been anything from you know two or three years to 20 something wow. years so there was huge uncertainty there and reluctance on behalf of um, my people to say hang on no I, I you know I don't want to let those go uh, reluctance from the customer mm -hmm. that says you know I know I've known that person for you know 15 20 years mm -hmm. uh, I like them they, they understand me I, I don't want to lose that relationship mm. um, and then just the, the risks that the people could walk, go somewhere else uh, or the customers could go somewhere else really so it was a huge uh, that was became a huge project and um, yeah because I guess once the the relationship with the with the customer and the relationship manager has changed that's a almost a great catalyst for them to say well if I haven't got the relationship with that person anymore I could go to a different bank. Yeah, it's a huge trigger. It yeah. will, in any survey you do, um, uh, the, what will come back to you is the most important part of the banking relationship is the individual. Mm. Um, mm. So when we when we talked about going this route, it was a huge business risk for us to um, to manage really. Mm. And um, there's a number of things that came out of it that when I look back, um, sort of look at how did you do it and, and what made it work hmm. um, and uh, one of the first was that you have to um, you had to engage the relationship directors in the solution you know that expression you need to be part of the solution mm. so um, um, so what that was all about was you know why were we doing it how could we differentiate ourselves banks have become really a commodity product um, you, know, you pay an interest rate and you get a loan or you, or you take a deposit and we needed to sort of differentiate more with with knowledge and so it was asking them themselves how they would differentiate it was getting them to choose what industry that they wanted to focus mm -hmm. on as opposed to saying you're going to do this or you're going to do that and then getting them to set the agenda about how you're going to migrate with the clients and uh, what the process and the timeline was was going to be around so that was the most important thing that mm. they had to be part of a solution yeah. rather than it had to be a problem to them that mm. this was something that they just had to go and do yeah because that was never never going to work well nobody yeah. likes being done to do they no. so if we're included in the decision making process people are much more likely yeah. to buy in aren't they and that got it off to um to a really good start and then you know when i look back the other bit of it is the leadership had to be very visible mm -hmm. um so it was all about the communication, um, re-emphasizing why we were doing it, and then being really open and honest with the questions. So mm -hmm. if people asked you a question, you had to give them, an, you know, the honest answer. Mm -hmm. If you couldn't give them an answer, then telling them was absolutely fine, mm -hmm. you know, but just be straight and be honest. And that dispelled any myth of um, there's a hidden agenda. Because yeah. when you go through anything like this, if people's first impression was, oh, you're just trying to reduce headcount or is my job at risk etc mm -hmm. so it was re-emphasizing that wasn't the case and then sort of acting in that way and, and showing them that wasn't the case so you could dispel um, mm -hmm. that myth but what was also interesting is regardless then of how you felt your demeanor and visibility was really important and um, that came back to me yesterday I was coming back from Dublin on an aeroplane and the turbulence on this aeroplane was horrendous uh, and uh, I hate flying I'm, I'll say that I'm an absolute wimp when it comes to flying so as this thing started to rock and roll I got more and more edgy nervous mm -hmm. I mean, the poor person next to me I almost grabbed their hand <laughs> I, I, I but what did I do 
I, I looked at the cabin crew. That's my first port mm. of call. Who were there sitting there, sort of still drinking their cup of tea and chatting with each other as if nothing had happened. And the fact that they looked cool and calm around things, if you like, gave me some cool of calmness mm. that things might be all right. So I think when you go, one of the other things I learned is, is they look to you as well as the, you know, how are you embracing it? How are you looking? How are you feeling? How are you acting mm. around the change? Do you believe in it? And mm. they draw a lot of comfort. So you know, from, from that side of it as well. I think that's really important, isn't it? Because I think in, in when there's uncertainty, it affects you as well as the whole organisation. But actually, you need to be able to have a clear head and say, no, this is the right thing to do. Even if we don't know how it's going to look at the end of it, we can't always execute mm. exactly what we envisage. Having that clear head and the confidence of this is the right thing to do. It's building the trust mm. as well. And, and there's an empathy thing and um, it helped in a way that I'd been a relationship director for what, 15, 20 odd years. Mm. So, um, you know, I understood and could empathise with the fact that it is difficult, you know, to break relationships. Mm. And those have become friendships as much as, mm. as relationships. And, you know, you need that empathy and they need to see and feel that, that empathy. And, and sometimes I think in leadership we look at the softer skills and we see them as a as a weakness or a undermining of authority. But really, what they are is they're a building of tr of trust, mm. they're a building of reputation, mm. and uh, and actually uh, you know achieves people's buy-in uh, you know, a lot easier than mm. uh, just devising an action plan and and, and driving this mm. you know, this whole thing through. And and the other thing uh, alongside that. Is listening to the feedback so it's all about you know keeping the communication going taking the feedback both from the relationship side but from the client side what mm -hmm. were we learning as we went through the migration process what mm -hmm. worked well what didn't work well and where it didn't work well we change it and um, you know you could be brave enough to say right okay I didn't foresee that we'll go in a different direction yeah. or we'll modify it to that side and then and there's a, a humility that's required with that, isn't there? Mm. To to say, actually, I take your point. That's not going to work for you. Then we'll do it differently. Yeah, and, and I'm not saying that when you have a plan, you have to execute on it. But you're right about the humility. And there's a there's a difference, I think, between you know being assertive and, and organised, and then being arrogant yeah. and, and saying, right, you know, this is the way we're going, even mm. though everybody's telling me that mm. you know that that's not working really. Mm. And the converse of that is really powerful. So when you get feedback from clients that said, you know, I was nervous about this, but you know what, um, my new person is really good, it's made a nice impression, and actually I've got the comfort that my previous relationship point is still there, if yeah. it hasn't worked out. Uh, that message and, and reinforcing the messages across people really worked, mm. and, uh, and, and sort of I think people grew in confidence then that, you know what, a, we can do it, and B, we can start to achieve the results mm. that we wanted to achieve. Uh, wanted to achieve through it, really. And did you find that, uh, you know, I'm just thinking with sometimes if the relationship's been going for 20, 15, 20 years, then it almost becomes, it could become stale. Did you find that there were some examples where people felt actually fired up by having a new relationship manager? Mm. There was. I, I think it sort of reinvigorated mm. people. Mm. I never understood at the time, you know, when 
you get cabinet reshuffles mm, uh, in the government. Mm. I always thought, why would you do that? Someone's just got used to their job, and yeah. then you go throw all the balls up in the air, and then you do something else. But you saw it here, because it was mm. right. People got a new industry that reinvigorated them. They got a new set of clients who they had to understand and get to know. Mm. So that reinvigorated mm. them. And then even with my relationships, when I passed them on, I was always amazed that a fresh pair of eyes mm. always find something or, or yeah. gets a new perspective or a different perspective on mm. it. So, um, and, and I think everybody, if you spoke to them today, would say, you know, exactly the same thing, mm. particularly about the fresh pair of eyes. You, you think you've covered things off, mm. but, but actually uh, somebody's seen something differently or interpreted something, yeah. new, you know, something differently. Yeah. And then the other bit that really helped is as they then got into their industries and saw um, corporates within those industries doing different things, they could then share share those learnings and bring new ideas and products and solutions to the client base mm -hmm. as well. So that got the enthusiasm, you know, going forward. So did that create more collaborative working amongst the relationship managers as well? It did, but the, the point I have to make is you've got to work really hard at that. Mm. And, and what do I mean by that is, is that when we went down this route, one of the dangers was that you become quite siloed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm going to focus on manufacturing businesses. Well, yeah. you know, hang on a minute. What about all the other stuff that's out there? Well, uh, you know, nothing to do with me is could be potentially the answer. But actually what you needed to do was work really hard to make sure it was something to do with them. Because mm. what you needed then was the collaboration between all of the different sectors and the danger was you might lose that. Because mm. one of the benefits of having a generalistic portfolio is you saw a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so that you could point people in the right, you know, in the right direction. Here, you were, the necessity was to engage with different people in different sectors when you had a, an issue in that sector. So I have to say we worked hard and needed to, to um, keep that going. And there were times, in all honesty, where you, I worried about that, mm. uh, and and you could see that becoming. A little bit more distant, and you had to sort of lean in harder to make sure that uh, you know that worked. And mm. you do that through you, you could do it a through the business side, but that's where the social side of of teams became really important as well. That you needed to encourage the out of work activities, the the relationships that they had, both you know sort of uh, from a be the sporting side or an outside interest side, so that they stayed if one team within a within a team yeah yeah so what was the what was the biggest challenge oh i think the biggest challenge at the the outset was literally uh having got people buying that this was the way to do it how were we going to execute it mm. and, and and that's where you know when you do go through a change program people do need to see the um the execution plan of how mm. it was going to work um um, I guess not being honest, not a great one of my strengths. Um, I sort of tend to focus on on the softer sort of uh, skills. So what I needed around me was a very good sort of project manager that mm -hmm. could actually keep control of, you know, what was being moved, where it was being moved to, mm -hmm. what the timing plans were, mm -hmm. etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, and I think once people saw that and, and started to get um, into that timeline, that they could see the um, the progression chart through that. That you know that really helped. So yeah. it was hearts and minds, but you then you do need a good execution. Yeah, as well. yes, no yeah. good having a vision without a plan. No, it is. No. And it's an interesting dichotomy, isn't it, of that wanting to include people in designing the solution, but then there are other people. 
that want to know exactly what it is that you're going to do. So how did how did you get round round the because that's almost polar opposite, isn't it? And one is including them, and the other one is saying this is what the plan is, mm. and everybody's different in terms of what they need. Oh, they're massively different, uh, and I think that the, the only way to do it is all it's in the communication. So mm. it's a, it's in the, that honesty bit that says you know I can't answer your question because I don't know. You know, some of this will evolve from the feedback we're getting, and we need to be fluid enough to be able to do that. And then it's sort of pairing people up so that um, you've got if you have got polar opposites let them draw comfort from you know from each other mm. and uh, mm. so they're not not just listening to you but mm. they're listening to their peer group mm. and, um, and saying yeah you know this is how you want to deal with this or this is how we'll deal with that mm. uh, and, and letting them you know work it across both sides yeah but it is a case of trying to give both ends of that spectrum some comfort you yeah know, for the planners there's the plan mm. and for the strategists that you know this is what it's going to be like you know there's there's the strategy yeah and you and can create the, it <laughs> yeah and then the feedback side comes in the middle good and bad um because you do you know you do got to get the learns positive and negative out there mm. and, and adapt your approach accordingly mm. and then as you go through that process i think people then start to get a lot more comfortable because you've got the person that says i told you that would happen and you think, yep, you're absolutely right. So we're going to, you know, adapt it slightly in this way. And then you've got the strength of the other people um, that more or less said, well, yeah, it, it'll all be all right on the night. And mm. It was all, all right. On the night. Your glass half full and your glass half empty. Yeah, and you're always going to get this. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and and I think the secret is is you have to embrace both sides mm. of it and mm. both and then that little bit on the engagement at the outset, you know, being part of the solution, not the problem. Mm. You listen to both sides. Mm. Um, and so uh, you can then, you know, pull something together where hopefully you've got the bulk of the, you know, the people engaged. Mm. The outset, really. So what was the biggest learning for you as part of the process? Oh, um, I think the biggest learn for me was that um, it takes time. You know, whatever you look at in a, in a plan or, or you look at uncertainty, you know, you, you, your solutions are there, uh, but they evolve, you know, they evolve and they'll take some, and they'll take some time. Mm. Um, so there's nothing wrong with thinking things through. Um, there's nothing wrong with sort of uh, listening to the feedback that comes in and then, you know, modifying, uh, modifying it, uh, you know, accordingly. But the big, the big learn was, in, if, if it is uncertain and you are doing change, engage the people who you're doing the change upon. Mm. Because if, if, if they don't buy into the change or feel involved in the change or have contributed in, in some way mm. to, to shaping that change, trying to get people to buy in is, is nigh on impossible. Mm. And, and if I take it back to this example, if they don't buy in and they've had a relationship for 20 years and they're going to go to somebody in a negative perspective then your your chance of actually making that an effective change is, is zero mm. basically. So, mm. so I think in this instance that was the that was a really big learn. Yeah. And what's been the biggest benefit for you as a result of that transformation? Um, numerous, I think. The um, the customer has definitely benefited um, from um, knowing that um, the bank, the individual, the whole credit process in an insert uncertain environment is okay with their industry a lot more um, than it was before so they can understand the nuances and the, the peaks and the troughs on it so the, I think the customer's got 
a, a benefit from that as well as a sharing of customer ideas customers are great they love they love you know telling each other what you know what they're doing so uh, that's been a big plus and then on the people side it's a little bit what you said it, it's freshened people up it's given them new motivation it's given them fresh learning um, mm. and they also feel that they've got skills now that uh, are very portable as well they're very mm. knowledgeable about um, sectors and and they can talk they do um, outside seminars they've been asked by uh, professional bodies to speak on their industry so that's you know, if, you, if you like giving them a whole new gambit of things to do whereas before when you went through it it was the reluctance was well I don't know if I can do that mm. you know uh, I don't know if I can learn that um, as a, and they were very comfortable you know in what they're doing so in breaking that model and um, they've responded really well to you know, just a, a new challenge and a new challenge which uh, as you said earlier, some people embrace that, some people have to grow into it, but mm. even the people who have to grow into it have, uh, have grown into it, which is, uh, which is nice. Yeah, yeah. and how do, you, how do you bring the resistors with you? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, different issues on that. Well, yeah, but you know, one of, the, yeah. one of the questions I get asked a lot is, how do I get people to do what I need them to do? <laughs> um, so I just wondered what your take was on that. Yeah. I give you. I, I tell you what's worked for me, um, but I know other issues. I mean, I've, I've read books that said you know you're either on the bus or off the bus, mm. which I always thought was a bit draconian, really. Mm. But one of the ends, I remember one of the things that um, always worked um, around change and resistance is identifying um, the the people who have got the most input into it. Um, so I remember a time I um, you know worked down in, in Dudley. It's a bit like a wall. So if you want to change something and you want to knock a wall down, where do you hit it? You know, if you take some bricks out of the bottom of the wall, the wall is going to is going to fall down. So it's identifying the people who are probably uh, most reluctant to change, uh, seeing if you can you know influence and change them and spend more time influencing them, or also talking to the people who have then got most influence with mm. the group that you're you're trying to change mm -hmm. or, or trying to influence and if you can get advocates there mm. you can you can almost change the world really yeah. and, and I find um, in my experience that where it works is building from the bottom up mm -hmm. um, so if you almost if you can get the more, the more junior people engaged and enthused they'll work then up the um, say the chain of command it's probably not the best mm. expression mm. I can use uh, but then they'll be as a, more of an influencer on changing hearts and minds than you you know w will ever be really so, well with 1400 people in this office with the best will in the world you can't influence everyone no. can you so so it is it's finding out who are those people uh, 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 are, the, are the biggest sort of uh, you know, influencers yeah. on other people and, and focusing efforts on those and then you can start to drive some change. Mm. So, um, you know, I look around and we live in uncertain times with economically, politically, uh, environmentally, every which way. What are the challenges that you see coming your way now? Um, Loads. Uh, I, I, where do I start? Well, that's probably a loaded <laughs> question, isn't it? But no, I think if, if I look internally, um, the challenges are um, keeping people motivated and um, 
and them wanting to develop and being able to develop them and if you like the structures we've had enabling them to move across different sectors does you know gives them some, gives them new challenges but they've also got to adapt and change to how we're delivering products and services and how customers deliver products and services mm -hmm. but the long and the short of it in banking you know if we don't have clients we don't have a business mm -hmm. so you know so the biggest change is what's happening to you know our customers out there so it's trying to understand the issues that they're facing some of the macro issues mm -hmm. um, we promise not to mention the brexit issues and stuff but it was there you know mm -hmm. we've had three mm -hmm. three odd years of uncertainty mm -hmm. and the customers haven't known known which way to go or mm -hmm. when you know whether they twist or stick really in mm -hmm. some instances so it's understanding what the impact of, of that is mm -hmm. how you can help them and then how we can be proactive and saying, well, actually, I think the result of why could be this, and therefore what we've already done is is, is that. So, I, I think for me, the, the bit that will always be uncertain is the economic climate and mm. the macro issues that the clients face, changing buying patterns of customers. You know, if you're a retailer, um, you've got your shop estate, and you've now got your online estate. Yeah, you know, and the high so. streets are changing, and who knows yeah. where that's going to go. Yeah. yeah. So those are the big issues, uh, I think, for us. We can manage. We can manage the internal issues. Mm -hmm. It's then, it's then preempting and trying to influence and guide customers on the external. And giving and making sure that the that your staff have got the skills to be able to continually adapt to the uncertainty of changing market conditions and changing ways of working and living and yeah it's it, it, it's all it, it's all of that yeah. um, you know if, if you look at um, you know moves to dynamic working um, sort of they've all got um, the ability to work mobilely mobilely respond mm. you know, very quickly um, one of the benefits probably maybe not totally foreseen if I'm honest of, of what we did around the industry lines of course is you're now upskilling someone in one industry not 10 different industries mm -hmm. so as that industry changes it, it's easier in a way right. to, to keep abreast of what's happening in one sector than yeah. having to try and keep abreast of a of, you know complete portfolio yeah. really um so that so that definitely mm -hmm. you know that definitely helps as well but yeah as you look forward you know um people aren't at desks and pcs anymore they're on phones and ipads and um Webex training and um, and podcasts. Yeah, <laughs> and who knows where we're going to be in five years technologically. I, I, I thought about that. <laughs> I, I look at my girls and think, oh, what's it going to be like in twenty years' time? Yeah. Do you think? Do you think it might start to come full circle a bit? Because as you know, one of the things that I've heard people repeatedly say is that as we become more technologically connected, we've started to become more emotionally disconnected and. We've lost some of the human touch. Do you think we need to start to revert? Do you think you're starting to see that change? Um, yeah, I think from, if if I get parochial on banking for a bit, mm. it, it's always it's had to be um, sort of particularly corporate banking. That's had to have the human element. I can't, I can't, that hasn't changed, and I can't mm. see it changing because you have to have that conversation with people. Mm. If I look at the retail side of banking, and again, you know, I look at. Um, 
mobile banking. Um, my daughter does all her banking on the phone. I don't think she's ever been into a branch. My niece has just bought her first house and it was on an app that she got her mortgage agreement thing. So I think from a corporate perspective, I'm, I'm going to say we're lucky because I'm a bit of a dinosaur there, but we'll keep the face-to-face -face dialogue. <laughs> but in answer to your question as well, I, I have seen a change. So we've embraced uh, dynamic working, mobile working, and we went uh, a lot down a location independent working perspective. Mm -hmm. But what's coming back is that people are missing the interaction with mm -hmm. people. It's a lonely old world out there if you're you know, you're on your own or mm -hmm. you're on the phone. They actually like being in, in teams and I like being in teams and, and being around people to bounce ideas off mm -hmm. everybody else. So I, I don't think that will go away and I think we'll all want quicker, faster responses and the ability to you know, um, work mo uh, in a mobile fashion. Mm. But what I do think was, is coming back is is we like our own company. We benefit from working in yeah. teams, uh, and uh, and I think that's what you're alluding to in that mm. question. And that's mm. definitely coming back. Um, and I think and I hope that at some stage people will turn off. You know, mobile phones. Um, you know when they're out socially or whatever mm, and because mm. uh, you, you do look around you know pubs and restaurants and you wonder why people are there because they're, they're still tapping away. I know one of my biggest beefs is, is um, walking down the street and <laughs> trying to avoid the number of people whose heads are in their mobile phones and you think can you not just look where you're going? <laughs> know. You want to try so I tried it once I, I thought I won't deviate so I'll leave it yeah. up to the person who's on the mobile phone to deviate and it's quite humorous when you <laughs> don't quite run into everybody but you you run not, into a few don't you if you're well, not I'm careful I'm like a six foot six wall really and, uh, so, but that's quite uh, you know that that's quite funny yeah. uh, as well but I also think on a, a more serious note as well I, I think when a lot of the emphasis now on mental health issues mm. uh, and, and I think when you look at what's causing some of the mm. you know the issues and, and we've had them in our family as well is a lot of it is around to social media not being able to get away from phones mm. and um, and and just being able to sort of divorce yourself from something and of course um, part of the issues as well is if you look on a phone everyone else seems to be having a good time and mm. when you're going through a you know probably a more stressful time and everybody else is having a wonderful time um, you know that can play on your mental health as well. So yeah. I think as people become more aware of that, I, yeah. I do think we'll get some called leisure time back. Or, you know, well, I think, I think it's down to the individual to create their boundaries now, because in the days where you went to work at nine and you went home at five, the boundaries were set by the company that you worked mm. for. And, and then you went home and you got on with your, you know, your life, mm. whatever your life was. Whereas now we're so connected that actually the onus is on me to make sure I switch my phone off at whatever time I decide to or close my laptop down. It's not the five o'clock deadline that is going to stop me working. It's my decision. So I think we have to create our own boundaries now, don't we, with it, to, to protect our mental health. Yeah, you do. But there's, um, there's another aspect to it, I think. And, and you need as a team and, and in leadership as well to, to set your own ground rules mm. because as much as you're right and the person you know needs to set their own boundaries to, to turn things off, then I think the importance of the leader is that they have to acknowledge that and lead by example. Mm. So the number of instances I see, I get of emails, out, I'll call it outside working hours, but mm. there are no working hours anymore, mm. but you know, seven, eight, nine, mm. ten 
10 o'clock and what it's doing is it's then setting an expectation that someone has to reply to that mm. and even though you might not expect them to in their own mind they feel they're expected to mm. and, and this circle then becomes quite um, vicious so mm. here for argument's sake we set an embargo that sort of after 6.30 there is no email right. um, unless it's client um, and um, and that enables you to see the wood from the trees as well to, um, to be honest but it doesn't disrupt on people's working patterns because mm. if they want to work then do what you want but keep it in your drafts and you know and send it the next day right. so um, it, it, I think it's not just what you do it's the impact of what you mm. do on others mm. that sometimes you're unconscious of it and you need to be very mm. conscious of it um, because you're set you know a, an unintended consequence mm. really of, of what happens and then it just spirals I think out of all concern. yeah so what keeps you awake at night I think for me it's trying to sort of um, just make sure everybody's okay I know that sounds a bit sort of um, maybe old-fashioned old but I look at all of the all of the change and all of the challenges that, mm. that are out there and uh, you're only as good as your as your people really mm. so for me it, it's uh, are my people okay you know are they healthy mm. uh, are they taking some time out and some mm. thinking time uh, or are we just bombarding them with that much stuff that everything becomes crazily reactive mm. and, uh, and actually you can't differentiate yourself and um, I think that always comes comes back when you if you go on holiday and you come back and you've always got new ideas or new ways mm. of doing things I, I don't care what you do everybody has mm. and uh, and what that says is that you need time to think so yeah. it's almost uh, I do less but it will be a better quality if I take time out to think. Mm. And, and when we're just continually running around a hamster wheel, I think you lose that. So you lose that time to think. You're not then, in our instances, being able to, you know, differentiate or look after yourself. So mm. I think if I'm honest, um, I, I spend all my time worried about everybody that's that's out there. Probably not that they can't do their job, mm. but just that you know. Because you care about the people. Because, yeah. because you know that it's the people who get the, the work done yeah, and, and the business that, survives. Yeah, people. Yeah. I'm shot really. I mean, um, banking is a, is an interesting business. We we only do we do three things. We sort of uh, we lend money, we take deposits, and we move money around, mm. and then we just complicate it immensely, mm. really. Mm. And the only differentiator between you know our bank and the next bank and the whole host of banks out there is. Is the people mm. you know they are the differentiator so mm. uh, if you lose sight of that um, you you won't have your business for very long mm. I think so mm. so yeah um, it's all about the relationships it's, it's all yeah. about the people is the yeah. expression we use here mm. so that's probably right yeah thank you Ray you're very welcome until today when I think of the banking industry my first thought is money and numbers but Ray's first thought is people and relationships he never mentioned numbers and bottom line once, yet of course those are important too. But he's clear that it's people and relationships that are the lifeblood of the bank. I wonder what the world might look like if every business were more focused on engaging people and customers and including them in the solution making process. Where's your attention? Is it on the numbers or the people and relationships? 
How can you ensure that your team, your organisation and your customers are part of the solution? That's it for this week. I was your host, Jude Jennison, and I hope you were as inspired as I was. Keep leading and come back soon for the next interview on Leading Through Uncertainty. Mm-hmm.